Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Amen. Good to see everybody. Well, you can tell summer's here. A lot of people gone on vacations and enjoying that time, and so uh, we just pray they have a safe and good travel, relaxing time, and get rested. Who brought the gnats in? Goodness gracious. They're eating me up up here. Well, in the past few weeks, I've been sort of following the, uh, the news and what's been going on with some very deep heartache, and um, there have been several reports of several um, godly men who have lost their ministries over the past uh, few weeks. Uh, one seminary professor uh, had to resign and is no longer uh, at the seminary because of uh, indiscretion. Uh, one of our presidents of our seminary um, was terminated and had to leave because of an indiscretion, not of his own, but of someone else that he was aware of and has been in the news media. Um, one pastor, not too far from our area, well, about three hours up north from us, um, had to resign as the ministry leader of a, of a parachurch ministry because of some vulgar things that he said in some tweets on Twitter. Uh, we are uh, seeing some crazy things happen in these days. And you know, I don't know about you, but when I read about a pastor, ministry leader who falls out of ministry, uh, I sort of scratch my head and go, I wonder what happened. You know, how do, how do we get to the place where we stand and we preach the word, but then the word no longer is preaching to us? You know, how do we get to this place where, you know, we, we feel comfortable with allowing ourselves to drift into such a state where we may do something so egregious as what they've done. How, how do we get to this place? But then I'm reminded by the Holy Spirit, why are you in the pulpit on Sunday morning? <laughs> why, why are you all where you're at? <laughs> why is it that we all can say today that we may be all right, but tomorrow? I mean, we're, we're all a step away from a disastrous, foolish decision that can ruin our lives. And you know, what we do is we look at men of God, and, and, and don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. We look at the men of God, and they fall, and we begin to think, you know, well, they were supposed to be holier than everybody else. Well, no, God calls all Christians to be holy in God, Right? I mean, am I supposed to set a higher example? I believe I am. But, but to be holier than you? <laughs> I mean, the only holiness I own and the only holiness I possess, by the way, is what Jesus Christ has given to me through salvation. I have none of my own. Amen? And so if I am holy, it's only because of what Christ has done in me by saving me and giving me his righteousness. Uh, that's called imputation. And so that's the only reason why I am holy, by the way. Uh, but I am still fleshly. Amen? And if you want to know how fleshly, come on Wednesday nights. We share a lot of stories on Wednesday nights. 
Maybe some I hope I don't ever regret later in my life. But anyway. But why are we where we're at? Why are we safe? Why are we still having the opportunity to stand here today and to preach and to share God's word? I'm very mindful that it could be a slip coming my way. It's scary, isn't it? Think about that. It's scary. And, and we look at the characters of the Bible, and, you know, we, we see some people in the Bible that have some grievous mistakes. They make some horrible decisions, and they do some terrible things. But then there's some guys in the Bible that we look at, and even though they may have some flaws in their life, we sort of look at them and go, you know, they're just beyond that. They're superhero kind of guys. And we, 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 we don't really focus on the fact that they've done some horrible things. And last week I told you as we began a little mini-series inside of our series character sketches, I, I was going to preach on David for three weeks. And, and I looked at David last week and we talked about courage, right? We talked about courage that David had. Did not come because David was just this great warrior. No, he's a, he was a young man. And he wasn't hardly wet behind the ears. And yet he had great courage because his courage stemmed because of his faith, right? His faith is what gave him the courage. When he put his trust in God and looked to God and, and defended God's honor, there's where his strength came from. There's where the courage came from. And he was able to run at a giant and have a great victory. And that's what we love about David. We love the stories. We love to see him here talking about killing a bear and a lion. We like it when he beat the Philistines. We like it when he goes to war against the Amorites and he destroys them. We, we like those kinds of stories, but we don't like the story about the character flaws. And isn't it interesting that the Bible doesn't hide anybody's character flaws? <laughs> isn't that interesting? God could have wrote the Bible in such a pristine way that everybody looks so holy. And by the way, I think that's an argument against it being humanly written. Because who's going to write about themselves and their flaws? Amen? Tell Jesus, I said, hey. So, so who's going to write? So I think that's a, great, that's a great proof to understand that God is the, the author of the book. The Holy Spirit inspired these men to write. And as they wrote, they wrote down even the character flaws of some of the greatest men in the Bible. And David had one of those great character flaws that we find in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And I want to look at that today. I want to examine that today. And I want us to think about what happened. What happened to David? Listen, and what happened to him could be what happens to us. Some of you say, oh, no, preacher, that'll never happen to me. Well, then let me remind you of what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said to us, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We must be careful that we don't think that David's sin is not our sin. We must be careful that we look at other people and say, well, I would never do that. Oh, yeah, you think so, huh? That's a great challenge, isn't it? And I'm here to tell you today we're living in such a world. Let me tell you something, folks. We're living in times we, we don't even understand the times. We're living in some very weird times that even in our Southern Baptist Convention, we are seeing godly men that we've respected for years begin to topple like dominoes, just one by one by one. And it's like the news every week is somebody else. It's somebody else. It's somebody else. 
And it's, I tell you, it's quite disturbing when you begin to think about what's happening. Because you begin to think, where is integrity? Where is godliness? Where is the wall that we've been told all of our lives as young preachers when we went to college and seminary? Where is the wall that we're supposed to put up to protect ourselves? It's like it's been moved. (laughs) It's gone. But I think that it's part of the cultural influence even upon the church. And so our sermon today is probably even more needful because we are so inundated by the culture around us. We're told and we're convinced that what feels right, just do it. We're we're convinced that morality is no longer the standard of the Bible. It's the morality is what I call the standard. And so whatever I can get away with, whatever I can do, whatever I'm comfortable with, that's exactly what we're going to do. And that's what happened to poor David. By the way, lest we think David had one little problem here in this text, I want you to understand something. If you go back and read in 2 Samuel chapter 5, you're going to find that David did not just have an affair with Bathsheba. David was a man who lusted after women. And the Bible says that he added wives and concubines to his harem. And you say, oh, that's just normal back then. Well, let me tell you something. It should have been normal of the king of Israel because in Deuteronomy, it was very plainly put. It was also in Leviticus, plainly put, that a king should not do three things. Shouldn't go around stealing horses and adding horses to his uh, repertoire of horses. I don't know why, David. That's kind of a, a unique thing. But the second thing he says in there, don't add any wives. You know why God said don't add any wives? Because God had already told the nation of Israel, when you go into that land that I'm going to give you, if you take their wives, you know what they're going to do? They're going to lure your heart away from me. They're going to lure you away from me. And you know what happens to David? David is too busy flirting around with a bunch of women, thinking he's going to get satisfied, and he doesn't get satisfied. And what happens is he gets his mind distracted, his heart distracted, and the next thing we find him, he's falling. And he's falling hard, breaking God's word. But he's a man after God's own heart. <laughs> well, even men after God's own heart can do some egregious things, right? And so the text in 2 Samuel 11 is sort of heartbreaking as you begin to read the story and you begin to find some things that I'm going to share with you today that, that I hope will help you to avoid some of the pitfalls that we may fall into because they do come our way. So the first thing we find, look at verses 1 and 2, and I want you to write this down because here's the first point I want to make this morning is that he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, we we like to talk about being in the right place at the wrong time. David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, some people debate this and argue this, but I think the Bible mentions it for a reason. Look at verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 11. It says, And it happened in the spring of the year at the time the kings went out to battle. Now, why did the kings go out to battle that time of year? Because first of all, the raiding season's over, so you can travel a whole lot easier. But then think of this, the grain and everything would be used, captured to feed your troops. So it's not wise to go in the raiding season. You, you get stuck in the muck and the mire, but also you wouldn't have the food distribution that you would have if you would conquer that from somebody else. And so it was strategic. So at the time of the year when the kings are supposed to be out to war, what does David do? Well, look at the text. It says that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon 
and besieged Rabbath. And then, but it says this, but David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. Now I want you to see something. David is in the wrong place at the wrong time. If David was out to war, if David was where he was supposed to be, out with his people, and by the way, people would argue and say, well, it wasn't necessarily customary for kings to go to battle. That may be true. But if you look at David's history, Look at the Bible and read David. David is always with his people. He is always out fighting. And here he is at home. Not only is he at home, but what is David doing? The Bible says he arises from his bed. The idea is about twilight. We're not talking midnight. We're talking somewhere about twilight. He gets out of the bed. And what is he doing in bed? What are you doing in bed at twilight? You know, the idea is he's slumbering around. The idea is his men are out fighting and here is David. He's at home resting. He's at home taking it easy. I don't know. They said he was probably a little over 50 by this time. And maybe he's just exhausted and tired and thought, well, let's leave the fighting to the young guys. I don't know what he was in his mind. But we know that he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. He should have been out fighting, but he's not. He's home slumbering. Folks, can I tell you, there's some times we got to be careful. There's some times that we put ourselves in wrong positions in wrong places and it's going to come back to burn and hurt you. Do you realize that? You've heard me say many, many, many a times, listen, I am not going to go to lunch with a woman by myself anywhere. I don't care where it's at. I don't care who she is, unless it's my wife, obviously. But I'm not going to do that. Why? I am not going to put myself in a position of being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Are you with me? Folks, we cannot afford to take chances. We cannot afford to say, well, it's not going to hurt anything. We'll just meet at this restaurant. We'll just have a casual lunch. We'll talk business or talk conversation. Whatever we're going to do that may seem innocent, may seem okay. Next thing you know, you see us at a hotel. Isn't that how it happens? Hello? Wrong place, wrong time. And so sometimes we put ourselves on the edge where we're going to be lured into something. And we've got to be very careful. We've got to stay in the right place. Because listen, let me tell you something. If you're in the right place, you can bet your dollar that eventually somewhere along the line, Sin's going to find you, right? Sin has no problem finding us. Why? Because Paul said we're still in the flesh. And as long as we live in the flesh, we're going to struggle and we're going to have sin come. So I don't need to add to that problem. I don't need to put myself in the wrong place. And I just use that one example. There's probably a plethora of examples you can use. You know, being in a hotel room and maybe watching (laughs) pay-per-view, Don't put yourself in that position, guys. Ladies, don't put yourself there. It's better to leave the TV off than turn it on and be tempted to watch something you shouldn't be watching. You with me? And it, doesn't it seem too like when you're idle? I don't know if y'all have this problem, but doesn't it seem too like when you're idle, you're being lazy? It doesn't seem like that becomes the devil's workshop. Doesn't it seem like during it's those times that, that it seems like you become more tempted about things? I was laughing and telling people Friday night, we, Marie and I started this keto diet thing. And so she put me on this diet because I'm already thin and she wants to fatten me up. So we started this diet and 
Friday week ago is my first week, and I was sitting there watching television and looking out the window, and I don't know why I was looking out the window at the right time. I guess it was the devil, but there goes the pizza man driving by. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know, I want some pizza. And Marina was gone. Hannah was gone. They were off shopping for the wedding. And so I was home alone. I thought, nobody will ever know. I can eat this pizza, you know. And then I did the right thing. I called her and I said, hey, I'm struggling. I want pizza. So, you know, I tell that funny story because, folks, that's what happens to us. I was minding my own business. And whoever ordered pizza and they drove by, every time I call a pizza place to deliver a level plane, it's like, oh, that's out of our jurisdiction. I'm like, are you kidding me? I see you go by 15 times a day. So whoever ordered pizza, it's their fault. But you get the point. I mean, it's, it's humorous. And I tell a lot of humorous stuff because it's all I know. <laughs> but the reality is it's true with sin. We can just be minding our own business and there goes the pizza guy or some sin. You know what I'm saying? So David was at the wrong place at the wrong time adding to the problem of sin in his life. But it doesn't stop there because notice what David does as a result. In verse 3 through, or really the middle of verse 2 through verse 5, notice instead of staying, you know, He stayed instead of fleeing. David said, the Bible says he went out and he looked. And notice what David does. I love the middle of verse 2. It says, but David uh, remained home. He said, and and from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. And so David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, now I want you to listen to what they said. Is this not Bathsheba? The daughter of Elam, by the way, who was a trusted official of David. The wife of Uriah, by the way, who is a a faithful soldier in his ranks. Is this not the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now, I want you to stop there because I want that to sink in for a moment. I want you to see, first of all, what happens. Now, Now, there is this argumentation. Well, Bathsheba, what is she doing bathing out in the middle of the... The, you know, where everybody can see her. I mean, that's kind of foolish. She, she should have used the Hebrew custom and hid behind some kind of shield. And here she is out there publicly displaying herself. It's her fault. Okay. Is it her fault? You know, I want you to think about this for a minute. A couple of thoughts I had as I was studying this text. I got to think, first of all, my thought was, where are all the men at? The men of Israel are gone. Said they went out to war. Maybe she's not expecting everybody to be home. Maybe even the king was supposed to be gone. Why? Because then the kings usually go to battle at this time. They're supposed to be gone. Maybe that's perhaps one of the situations. But I want you to understand something in the text. This is the only time Bathsheba's mentioned. You know why? Because the focus is not on Bathsheba and what she may have done. The focus is on David and what he has done. And I want you to understand why it is. Because you look at chapter 12, well, when you get home, we don't have time to deal with it today. You look at chapter 12 when you get home. When Nathan comes and Nathan confronts David, do you know what he uses as an illustration? A rich man taking advantage of a poor man. The rich man had everything he could ever want. But a visitor comes into town and he wants to feed him supper. And so he goes to the poor man who had one little lamb. And the Bible says he treated it like his own little daughter. He loved that thing. He hugged that poor little lamb. 
And you know what that man did? He stole it from him. He took it from him by force. He took it. And he served it to his friend. You know what he did? He exercised his power, his authority over someone else. It is quite possible, you understand, that not only did David have an affair with her, but that David really gave her not much of a choice. Do you understand what I'm saying? In the Me Too generation, it may be her raising her hand, saying, hey, there was this night where these people showed up at my house. They were the king's people, and they took me to his house. You realize that, don't you? Have you ever looked at it from that perspective? Go back and read chapter 12. you find Nathan's pretty hard on David, maybe exercising authority where he shouldn't have exercised authority. And so the Bible says that when they inquire about this woman, they say she is the wife of Uriah. Stop the line. Stop it right here. There's the line in the sand, right? You want to build your harem? There's plenty of single women across the land. But no, this is Uriah's wife. You would think that he would say, oh, well, off the table. It's not what he does. Why? Because David is throwing everything to the wind. Where's God in this picture? Where's God in David's heart in this picture? Oh, he's not thinking about being a man of God's own heart right now. He's forgotten God. He has sort of left God out there somewhere. And instead of fleeing, instead of looking over the wall and seeing her and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Instead of doing that, he gazes, gets it in his heart, and he can't get it off his mind. And so he sends the messenger to come back and it's Uriah's wife. Then he does what? He says some people to go get her. Look at what the Bible says. Don't miss the point. It says, so David sent to inquire, verse 3. And then verse 4 says, then David sent messengers and took her. What did he do? He took her. They brought her to him and he lay with her and she was cleansed from her impurity. Meaning that, listen, meaning that her pregnancy that's about to happen did not happen from Uriah before he went to war. It's happening because of David and the affair. Okay? You can't miss the point. David's the father. (laughs) The Bible points it out. Isn't that something? Think about that. And so David lies with her, and then verse 5, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, and said, I'm with the child. (gasps) What are we going to do now? Because listen, now you've broken the, the law of God. Now you're liable unto what? Death. You can die. Your affair is found out. The lady you had an affair with, her husband's in battle, she's pregnant. Now you either fess up, listen, you either fess up and say, you're the one, or you let her die. Because listen, God's law for adultery was what? Somebody? Death. Should have died. Twice as bad. Isn't it always horrible when we hear the stories about men going to Afghanistan and they're fighting in Afghanistan and their wife leaves them while they're at war? Happened in Vietnam? I mean, think about that. How horrible is that? Where's faithfulness? Where's love? Where's the commitment that you made when you stood before a preacher or wherever, maybe even the justice of peace? The covenant that they made in their relationship. And here David is having an affair. So where's God at this point? I want to just, it's a little lengthy of a quote, but I want you to listen by a, a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer because I think it's a great quote and it sort of helps us to understand in this book, Temptation. He talks about um, how temptation overtakes us. Listen to what he says, and I quote him. In our members, that is in these members, there is a slumbering inclination toward desire, 
He said, which is both sudden and fierce. I would say that's true. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery of the flesh. All at once, a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. It makes no difference whether it's a sexual desire, an ambition of vanity, a desire for revenge, or love of fame and power, or greed or money. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He said, remember those words. He loses all reality, and only desire for the creature is real. The only reality is the devil. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. The lust thus arouses, excuse me, the lust thus arouses, arouse, excuse me, envelopes the mind and the will of a man in the deepest, darkest places. The powers of clear discrimination and of what the flesh desires really is the sin in this case. Uh, I read that wrong. The powers of clear discrimination and of decision are taken from us. The questions present, present themselves, rather, is what the flesh desire, is it really sin in this case? Is it really not permitted of me? Yes, expected of me now, here in my particular situation, to appease desire. It is here that everything within me rises up against the word of God. Therefore, the Bible teaches us in times of temptation in the flesh, there is one command, flee. Flee fornication, flee adultery, or idolatry, excuse me, flee youthful lust, flee the lust of the world. There is no resistance to Satan in lust other than flight. Every struggle against lust in one's own strength is doomed for failure. What a powerful quote. Basically, when it seizes us, if we don't flee, then guess what? We fall to it. What a powerful quote. What a great reminder. And that's what exactly happened to David. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, and instead of fleeing, he stays. But that's not all he does. Notice in verses 6 through 13, because instead of confessing, he covers it up. Now he's got to deal with this. So now he's going to do a, more sin to cover his first sin. Isn't that how it is? If you sin and you don't deal with that sin, guess what? You have to do more sin to cover it up. We're beginning to find out some of these guys who are coming out, some of these sins that have been taking place, has not happened just on a one-time occasion. It's been happening time and time and time again. And what's happening is they got to keep covering it up. Sooner or later, you can't cover it up. Sooner or later, you're found out. Sooner or later, your sin is shouted from the rooftop. And then notice in verse 6 through 13, Then David sent Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent, excuse <clears throat> me, Uriah to David. What time is it? I'm going to lose time, track of time here. He says, send me him. And so um, verse 7, when Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. I want you to understand what David did. David said, bring back the husband, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set them up with a candlelight dinner. It's going to be romantic. And we're going to set them up with a romantic dinner at their house, and we're going to have room service come in, and we're going to take care of them for the night. And what's going to happen is he's going to go home, and he's going to be with his wife, and she's going to supposedly be pregnant by him. End of story. I'm good. She's good. No problems. But you know what? That darn Uriah the Hittite, is too godly of a man. 
He, he's, he has too much integrity. And the Bible says instead of going home, he lays at the king's door. And the king says the next day, hey, man, I thought I told you to go home. Now, paraphrasing, told you to go home. He says, how can I go home and be with my wife and enjoy the luxury of being home when all of God's people, when all the, the men, the warriors are out fighting? He said, it's not right. It's not right to do, right? And so David's like, what am I going to do now? So now David devises another plan. He gets him drunk. But even in getting drunk, what happens? He doesn't go home. He's a faithful warrior. He's faithful and he doesn't go home. And so now David's got a problem. David's been trying to cover up his sin. Now what do you do? This guy won't let me cover up the sin. He's, too, he's filled with too much integrity. David has no integrity. His integrity has gone. Even so that he would get a man drunk and try to cover up his sin. Think about how deep David has sank at this particular point. Could it go any lower? Could he get any more devious? Could it get any worse? Oh yeah, it gets worse. It gets worse. For the sake of time, you begin to look at the problem here. And not only did he cover it up, listen, but then he begins to compound it even worse. And so he compounds the problem instead of confessing it in verses 14 through 21. Let me just give it to you. Basically, he's going to write a letter to Joab. And here's what he's going to say. Joab, when, when this guy gets back, when Uriah gets back, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put him on the front lines. And then when he's on the front lines, when the battle gets heated, when it gets the toughest, back away from him. Sound the retreat. Leave him out on the front line. And guess what will happen? He'll die. He'll die. Think about that for a minute. Now, now think about the hypocrisy of this guy who's a king, a man after God's own heart. You know what he does with the letter? He writes the letter to Joab, and he calls Uriah the Hittite in, and he says, hey, man, give this letter to Joab. This guy is carrying his own death warrant to the front lines. You ever noticed that before? That's crazy. So David, listen, David has all the trust in the world of this guy, Uriah, not opening the letter. Think about that. He realizes that this guy's got more integrity than I got. He's not even going to open the letter. And they get there, and the letter's given to Joab, and exactly what David says happens. So David compounded this sin, not only of his adultery, not only trying to discredit Uriah and send him home, but listen, he murdered the guy via orders to somebody else. But he might as well have been the one that slit his throat because he ordered it. A man after God's own heart. And we say it can't happen to us. I'm here to tell you, friend, listen. You start playing this game where you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. You start playing that game where you don't flee when it comes. And you look on and you don't deal with it. And we're not talking about just lustfulness now. We're talking about, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, any particular sin that we can name, any particular sin that may ensnare you, you begin to do that. You, you begin to cover up. You begin to hide your sin and think, well, I can hide. I'm not going to fess up. I'm just going to hide my sin. You're going to begin to compound it. You're going to begin to say, how can I hide this from this? How can I keep this from being known? And sometimes you got to, you know, it's like, who's, who's good enough? Who's a good enough liar 
to continue to lie, to keep covering stuff up. I don't know anybody who is. Amen? There's not anybody that's a good enough liar to keep the lie perpetuated and keep it going because you have to tell a lie to keep a lie, and then you have to tell a lie to keep that two lies. And then it compounds and goes on and on and on. And so that's what David did. David just compounding his problem, and he sends this poor guy Uriah back with his own death sentence. And, and listen, it gets worse in the sense that what, what does sin do to us? Listen, it makes us callous. Look, look what happens in verses 22 to 25. Like I said, we don't, you read these verses when you go home. We don't have time to deal with them all. But listen to verse 22. And so the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him. Now, by this time, the message is coming back to David that Uriah the Hittite is dead, right? It's coming back. Notice what happens. And the messenger, verse 23, said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us, and they came out to us in the field. And then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. Verse 24. Then the archers shot from the wall at your servants, and some of the king's servants are dead. And then listen, he taglines it. And your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Why? Why did he tag that? Joab said to do that because that's all David cared about. David did not care about how the rest of the guys were doing. He wanted to make sure that guy's dead. He's out, he's out of the way. Then David said to the messenger, now notice the callousness, verse 25. Then David said to the messenger, thus you shall say to Joab, do not let this thing displease you. For the sword devours one as well as the other. Hey, we all, they all die eventually. Sooner or later, a warrior's going to die. That's what happens in war. You have casualties. There's no comfort. There's no remorse. There's nothing but a callous response. And boy, isn't that how we can be sometimes? We let our sin fester in our hearts. We become callous. Boy, I tell you, Lord, help us that we don't become callous people. I tell you, I know some callous people. Boy, don't want to be around them very long. Boy, they'll rub you wrong, won't they? Their heart is shut up. They, they don't care about God. They don't care about repentance. And, and they're so callous that they don't care what they do to people, say to people. David has nothing in his heart for what's happened other than the joy that Uriah is dead. The Bible says in the next few verses that Uriah's wife Bathsheba goes and goes into a time of mourning. About seven days is the typical time of mourning. So she goes in this time of mourning. And in verse 27, and when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his home as quick as he could. And she became his wife and she bore the son. And I want you to notice the tagline because I want you to see something. The end result of sin, when we don't deal with the sin in our lives, notice the end result is displeasing the Lord instead of pleasing him. Notice the end of verse 27. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Did David do wrong against Uriah the Hittite? You betcha. Did David do wrong against Bathsheba? I have no doubt. Did David do wrong against his other wives that he had? You know, no doubt. It's adultery. Did David do wrong in the nation of Israel as a king? You betcha. He didn't act like he should have as a king. But the Bible reminds us, friend, listen to me. The Bible reminds us that his ultimate payment that he owed was to God. He sinned against a holy God. He's a man after God's own heart. Should it have been this way? God expected different of him. But what a great reminder. We're all flesh. We all do some crazy, stupid things. But we can avoid them. How? How? 
Listen, you ought to flee more than you stay. <laughs> Don't put yourself in wrong places. Amen? You put yourself in the wrong place, it's going to get you. Hey, if you happen to fall, don't cover it up. Fess it up. Don't compound it. Because the longer you compound it, the worse it gets. And then what happens? You become callous, cold. And then ultimately, ultimately, listen, it's displeasing to God. If you're a Christian, your heart's desire ought to be, I want to be right with God. I want to walk in integrity and in righteousness. Amen? We'll finish the rest of the story next week. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.